Alright, so everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash ringslore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash ringslore, expressvpn.com slash ringslore to learn more. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. Whoa, <laughs> this is a. Uh, what did you guys do in here while I was gone? Well, in here, out here? In this podcast? How does that even make any sense? Okay, uh, ducking around a corner here. I took last week off for a family trip. I was out of town. I apologize I didn't make it. And I come back and this is what's going on. So, all, all jokes aside, this is the War of Wrath. It's crazy out there. Today's episode, we're talking about the war to end all wars. Well, it didn't really... Oh, there's horns blowing. There, we didn't really end all, all wars, but it almost destroyed all of Middle-earth, and... then uh, there's horses charging down the street. This is... This is insane! So... Before we get into the actual episode, while I'm endangering myself with... You know... Arrows flying through the air, and cavalry, and... All, all sorts of terrible things going on, uh... Just wanted to let you know that... Our information about what this war was actually like is very limited. At least for like a boots on the ground view of everything. We get these broad brush strokes, these overviews of how things played out, but we don't get a whole lot of on the ground detail. Similar to some of the other battles that we've already talked about, Tolkien kind of explains that the battle happened and that these key moments happened, but we don't get a lot of on the ground stuff. So. Be ready, because we're going to try to fill that in a little bit with what we can tell happens. And then the rest of it is probably headcanon. And 
I think it would make a lot of exciting, interesting things for, you know, movies to show in the future. Wouldn't that be an amazing film? And I know they're working on films, and I know they're throwing around ideas. So, I'm gonna put my idea out there. Do something about the First Age. Do the Wars of Beleriand. That would be amazing. So, without further ado, let's, uh, here, I'm gonna get to a place where I can record the rest of this episode and not get shot by an arrow. Alright, see you on the other side! Okay, all right. I'm uh, I'm safe. I'm back in my studio, and you're not going to believe where I found mounted warfare happening to record live for this podcast. It was a children's park. That joke was amazing. Um, all right, so here we are. Let's talk about the War of Wrath. Now, at the end of last episode, we have basically the mustering of the host of Valinor. And we have to remember that we're going to get the Valar and some of the Maiar. They're going to war here. But it's also a lot of elves. A lot of elves from Valinor going across the sea. So the first question becomes, how did they get across the sea? Because the boatmakers in Valinor are all Teleri. The Teleri were the focus. They were the ones who suffered the first kinslaying. If anybody has the right to be upset about what happened a few hundred years ago and not want to go help the Noldor, it's the Teleri. But the Noldor aren't the only ones who are at threat of, well, annihilation by Morgoth. There are other elves as well. There are men, there are dwarves, and so there's a little bit more going on than just them going to help the people who fought against them previously. There's also a connection here to Elwing. The passage says, Few of the Teleri were willing to go forth to war, for they remembered the slaying at the Swanhaven and the rape of their ships. But they hearkened to Elwing, who was the daughter of Dior Eluchil, and come of their own kind. So they realized that she was descended from them. She was of their house still through her lineage. And that was enough for some of them. The fact that she was asking for their help as well. And we're told that they sent mariners enough to sail the ships that bore the host of Valinor east over the sea. But get this. Although the Teleri helped get them across the ocean by using their ships and piloting them and managing the ships, none of them set foot upon the Hitherlands in Beleriand. They took the ships over, they let everybody get off the ships, and then they stayed with their ships. They did not raise a hand to actually fight. They were just there for transport. So... It's a little bit of a trade-off. Hey, you guys did some terrible stuff to us. We're going to still help get you out of it, but we're not going to risk our lives with being in a battle against a Balrog. So, good luck. That's basically what they're saying. Now, Tolkien explains here in the next sentence 
why there's so little actual information about what happens in this battle. It says, Of the march of the host of the Valar to the north of Middle-earth, little is said in any tale. And it specifically tells us where they're going here, to the north of Middle-earth. What's in the north of Middle-earth? Thangorodrim, Morgoth's fortress. They are going right to the source. It goes on, it says, For among them went none of those elves who had dwelt and suffered in the hitherlands, and who made the histories of those days that are still known. So we know something else very specific about this. The host of Valinor makes their way across the ocean to the north of Middle-earth and goes directly against Morgoth. They don't go through Beleriand, find all of their fellow elves, muster an army, take a few months to do it, and then move north. The rest of the elves on the continent were not numbered among this military force. They landed on the shores, probably crossed over Syrian, and then directly into the areas that were more populated by the enemy at this point. So uh, basically they beelined it to the fortress <laughs> straight, as straight a path as they possibly could. It goes on and says, and who made the histories of those days that still are known and tidings of these things that they only learned long afterwards from their kinsfolk in Amman. So all of these events happen and most of the continent can tell that something is happening because we'll get to that part later. And then they get the stories afterwards. Like what is going on? Why is the earth shaking is probably something a lot of them were thinking at this point. And probably also questions like, why is there smoke and fire coming out of the North? What is going on with all of the orcs all of a sudden being recalled out of the lands nearer to us in order to defend their own fortress? All of that kind of stuff probably gave them a clue as to what was going on. And then we get a little bit of visual here. But at the last, the might of Valinor came up out of the west, and the challenge of the trumpets of Aonwe filled the sky. Aonwe was heralding just a little bit ago, Erendil showing up, asking for audience with the Valar. And here, things have now moved the other direction. Aonwe is trumpeting the coming of the armies of Valinor to another land. And Beleriand was ablaze with the glory of their arms, for the host of the Valar were arrayed in forms young and fair and terrible. We've heard about the glory of their arms before. These kind, this kind of language around the wielding of all of these weapons and armor and the way the sun glints off of them and, and those kinds of things. But in this case, specifically, we are told about the host of the Valar and how they were arrayed. This statement here, the host of the Valar, is not necessarily focused on the elves all marching together and the fact that they were arrayed in lots of weapons, because it tells us about forms and the elves themselves are not changing forms. The ones who are changing forms in order to show up physically at this battle are the Valar and the Maiar themselves. And the forms that they chose are young and fair and terrible. 
And this is a combination that Tolkien loves to bring together. For example, Galadriel. She can appear both young and fair and terrible at times. And there's something to that. There's something about a juxtaposition, I think, is probably the best way to state it, between words that we normally don't commonly bring together. So something being fair means it's beautiful and something being terrible usually has the the it's not a connotation it's a similar if there's a word for other descriptors that are almost analogous but are are just kind of adjacent i don't know what that means what that is i bet the germans have if you're german and you're listening to this i bet you have some sort of interesting combination of word word that explains this but terrible is much more likely associated with ugly than with fair if that makes sense. Like, oh, he had a terrible face. The old, ugly man with his terrible face. That kind of thing. You never really hear the beautiful young woman with her terrible face. But in this case, terrible is much more likely the severity, the seriousness of their faces, the the willingness of them to destroy their enemy in front of them. So from the enemy's perspective, they were terrible. And not only were they terrible, but it says this, the mountains rang beneath their feet. Either the size of the army was incredible, which it probably was, or the amount of war gear and even just the weight and the persona of the Valar themselves marching was shaking the world. And then we're given a sense of the scale of all of this. It says in the very next line, the meeting of the hosts of the West and of the North is named the great battle and the war of wrath. There was marshaled the whole power of the throne of Morgoth. This is something we've rarely seen. And it had become great beyond count so that Anfoglith could not contain it. And all the North was aflame with war. The entire host of Morgoth, every orc, every Balrog is sent forth from the dungeons and from the, the, the areas around Thangorodrim, the regions, all the orcs are called back. Everyone is put against these powers from across the ocean because you know what Morgoth is thinking. Morgoth is at the same time, a hundred percent confident. He's got this. The elves won't do anything. There's no way they're going to get the Valar to come help them. The Valar have left them behind. They don't care about them anymore. hundred percent confident about that. And then all of a sudden he's wrong and he is scared beyond belief because he knows all of the things that he has done to stand against the elves, the children of Iluvatar. And here come the Valar with their host, with their kinsmen from across the sea, ready for war. Everything that he has acquired, everything he has collected, all of the power he has mounted for the first time in a long time is at risk. So he throws everything he can at them. And then it goes on and tells us, but it availed him not. The Balrogs were destroyed, save 
some few that fled and hid themselves in caverns inaccessible at the roots of the earth. The Balrog in Moria, this is a description directly here of where it came from and why it was there. It was hiding from the Valar. This was a remnant of those wars. And there may still be more of those out there. It goes on and says, and the uncounted legions of the orcs perished like straw in a great fire or were swept like shriveled leaves before the burning wind. We get this imagery of the what's left after you take all the crops out and you need to burn the field in order to prepare it again for the next season. The orcs are like kindled straw and leaves that are brushed out of the way. None of them could stand against this host. And we're given a sense here that this was fairly complete. Clearly, they didn't kill all of the orcs. Orcs survive into later ages of the world, but they killed a whole lot of them. Few remained to trouble the world for long years after. And we know orcs can multiply quickly and all of that, but they must have eradicated the majority of orcs on the continent because it took many, many years for them to get back to any amount of total numbers that would be threatening to the people of Middle Earth. And so that was another great deed from this moment. They didn't kill all of them, but they killed many. And then we learn a little bit about the men, the houses of men. And such few as were left of the three houses of the Elfrens, fathers of men, the three mannish houses, fought upon the part of the Valar. So although some of the elves didn't show up for the battle because it's happened without them, the lands that they went through pulled to them these groups of men. They were far enough north that it looks like they got swept into the battle themselves and chose to go with it. They must have seen the host of Valinor marching through their lands and then said, we're going with you. That's how noble these houses were. They didn't have to, to lend their blades to this fight, but they did anyway. And they avenged in those days. And this part is great because they had some avenging to do. Baragund and Barahir, Galdor and Gundor, Hur and Hurin and many others of their lords. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. 
Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right. Welcome to the middle of the show. Again, thank you for your patience. I was off last week. Um, we had a situation where uh, f- uh, family friends of ours, uh, one of my f- best friends from high school and his family invited us on a vacation last week. And uh, it's something we'd been planning for like months and months and months. So we were out of town. So thank you for your patience. I'm glad to be back. And I'm so excited about where the show is going. We're getting so close to the end of the Silmarillion, and then we're going to do The Lost Tales. And then I was thinking about books like The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings and doing not necessarily like a read through. I'm not going to read the whole thing for you because there's audiobooks that'll do that. Like, I don't need to do that. But to have kind of like a read through and I could tell you like these pages and these are the points I'm going to pull out so you can read through the pages and then hear my perspective on it and you know uh, analysis and whatever words mean those kinds of things you know how that goes but uh let me know your thoughts on that and uh in the meantime we're in the middle of the show so we have to thank our patrons it's been two weeks we've got a number here uh john s swiggy swoo i think i've named some of these but we'll just double up just in case uh lexi c uh rivqua thinks how you pronounce that dusty r cosman uh, we have some upgrades. Uh, Darren L upgraded to the second tier. Welcome, welcome, Darren L, uh, to the t- to that tier, I guess. Uh, Zolt C, my dogs are barking. Joe G, Josh P, Oloren D, Ed, uh, Mary Ellen D, and um, Chaos Runner did a did a whole year subscription thing so awesome thank you for all of your support and uh we have to shout out oh we got to go down the big long list here we go our vip patrons let's let's do let's start with anakin skywalker austin c azal razzle azal razzle man i always mess that up Bo, brad s brandy d chewbacca david s david m drupal esoteric rage gavin Olaf, goldberry jesse p katie s capenna 009 larry michael e nick k obi-wan kenobi patrick w rivqua sam b t-rex tjt tyler m west p who let the juan out and that's it thank you to all of you for your support and to all 194 six away from 200 patrons holy moly Thank you for your support. Let's get to some of the reviews. We had a few come in 
over the last few weeks. Uh, let's start with that one pagan NCO from the United States who writes, Fantastic work. Cannot begin to give enough praise. The worst part of the week is having to wait for the next episode to come out. Much love from that one pagan NCO. Thank you, pagan. Uh, let's go to Bilbo Baggage from the United States who writes, Fantastic commentary. Good L-O-T-R therapy, smiley face. I was struggling with PTSD recovery and trying to reconcile that a triumphant return to my work didn't feel triumphant. Only triumphant in the in the words of others. A resulting conversation with a dear colleague who made a Frodo returning to the Shire analogy led me to revisit the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien's other works, which I hadn't read in a while. Though what is now a very or through what is now a very different lens. Thanks for making this world more digestible, a lot more accessible than therapy. Not to knock therapy, I think that's a good thing too. LOL. The wildfires in Canada are making my state smell like a war zone. Everything gets burned overseas. But being able to play this in the background takes the edge off a lot. Thanks for what you do. Oh, thanks, Bilbo Baggage. And I hope you're doing all right. Um, yeah, I find I find therapy sometimes in uh, stories and and these kinds of things as well, podcasts. So thank you for being here. Uh, let's see, one more. This one comes from, okay, so two more. We got we got a one-star review. This happens very rarely. And this person wrote, uh, worse than nails on a chalkboard, the host's cadence is so unnatural that it is a completely unlistenable. And my cadence in the first episode is kind of not great yet. Um, so maybe that's what they're referring to. So I apologize for that. Uh, I know I, I'm in fact, I've gone back and like re-edited it a little bit. So it works a little bit better, uh, less long gaps, that sort of thing. Uh, but I think I'm getting better and it seems that a lot of you like it. So, uh, maybe they only listened to the first episode. I don't know, but AK musician, uh, from the U S writes nails on a chalkboard. This is obviously a response to the previous one. I guess I never really thought about it, but between my love of Tolkien's writings coupled with this podcast, Lorecast, I must be a huge fan of the sound of nails on a chalkboard. It's easy to be anonymous and unkind, but you know what else is easy? Giving constructive feedback or not just listening. Well, thank you for standing up for me. And, um, having done podcasts for a while, this is not an unknown thing you know some people will find things to fault you with and then that'll just be this barrier to enjoying the rest of it so it's just how it goes but i appreciate the the sentiment and thank you for all of your support oh and patreon.com slash l-o-t-r lorecast that's the address you want to go to if you want to join us on the patreon let's do the rest of this thing here we go So you might be wondering about a few things. First of all, we were talking about the men just now and how these noble houses of men fought alongside the Valar. But what about everybody else? Unfortunately, men didn't always stand with the side of good and were swayed or bribed or misinformed, manipulated into serving the enemy. It says here, but a great part of the sons of men, whether of the people of Uldor or others new come out of the east, marched with the enemy and the elves do not forget it. And I think this is, again, one of those places of warning from Tolkien, from the wars that he saw and how so much death and so much suffering was caused by common people being manipulated into hatred and warfare 
And isn't that the story of almost every war? I'm not going to get too into this, but rarely is there a conflict that rises from the masses and isn't fueled by fire from those in power above trying to get the common people, and I'm putting that in quotes, to fight their battles for them. And this is a direct analogy to that. Now, the battle's not going well for Morgoth. Then, seeing that his hosts were overthrown and his power dispersed, Morgoth quailed, and he dared not come forth himself. Now, you may have noticed I haven't mentioned one specific weapon at his disposal. And here it comes. But he loosed upon his foes the last desperate assault that he had prepared, and out of the pits of Angband there issued the winged dragons that had not before been seen. And so sudden and ruinous was the onset of that dreadful fleet that the host of the Valar was driven back. For the coming of the dragons was with great thunder and lightning and a tempest of fire. So this gives us a glimpse here of the dragons for the first time, winged dragons. Remember, Glarung was like a worm. He had legs, but he slithered on the ground. There were no wings. These new dragons have wings, and some of them are bigger than anything anyone has ever seen. And we're given a glimpse here. It's, it may be symbolic that the coming of the dragons was with great thunder and lightning and a tempest of fire. But my guess here is that this is actually literally descriptive of what the dragons brought with them. What powers were coming out of them themselves. Thunder and lightning and a tempest of fire. We know smog breathes fire. This is not too far-fetched to think that lightning and thunder may be something that is also associated with some of the abilities of the dragons. But then we have the coming of a hero. And I love this part because it is both unexpected and yet feels like it could should be completely expected because this character is so much of what this chapter was about already. But Arendil came shining with white flame. He takes Vingalot and breaks from his normal path across the sky and joins the battle. Arendelle came shining with white flame and about Vingalut were gathered all the birds of heaven and Thorondor was their captain, the greatest of the eagles. And there was battle in the air all that day and through a dark night of doubt. So the forces on the ground are watching as a flying ship surrounded by an army of birds and giant eagles Engage the flying dragons in the air above them. Can you imagine? And it was probably high enough up that there was very little they could do. They could probably try to shoot at them with their arrows, but that's the arrows only travel so far if you're shooting them straight up in the air. And they are not sure who's going to win in this battle. And then we're given another glimpse into the specifics of this. Before the rising of the sun, they're fighting all through the night, which favors Morgoth, by the way. Arendil slew Encalagun the Black, the mightiest of the dragon host, and cast him from the sky, and he fell upon the towers of Thangorodrim, and they were broken in his ruin. 
Arendelle is such a badass that he not only has already done all the stuff that he's done, but he personally slays the biggest dragon to ever exist. As far as we know, this is the largest dragon. This is what people have speculated about this being the mightiest of the dragon host, because these dragons are bigger than Glarung, and this is the mightiest of this host, and this is the main time that we ever see multiple dragons ever. And so Ancalagon the Black is the biggest dragon. This thing is gigantic. And then the sun rises. The sun rose and the host of the Valar prevailed and well nigh all the dragons were destroyed. And of course, we know not all of them were destroyed. There were some out there still. And all the pits of Morgoth were broken and unroofed and the might of the Valar descended into the deeps of the earth. And we've seen them attempt to do this before, but this time it goes like this. There Morgoth stood at last at bay and yet unvaliant. He doesn't just stand there and accept what's going to happen to him. He fled into the deepest of his minds and sued for peace and for pardon because of course the bad guy never owns up to it, right? But his feet were hewn from under him and he was hurled upon his face. And it doesn't specifically mention Tolkis here, but I have to imagine that of the Valar, Tolkis is the one to throw him to the ground on his face one more time. Then he was bound with the chain of Anganor, which he had worn aforetime, and his iron crown they beat into a collar for his neck, and his head was bowed upon his knees. And the two Silmarils, which remained to Morgoth, were taken from his crown, and they shone unsullied beneath the sky. And Aonwe took them and guarded them. And this is the War of Wrath. But the chapter is not over yet. There's still more to come. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.